Praise the Lord. Let's go ahead and find uh, 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. I really do hope that you've been uh, getting something from God over the last uh, couple of days. And I, I, I pray those of you who brought your wives here, you came as a couple, that your wife has got something as well. You know, when, um, when God does something in a man and then in his wife, and you, in both of you really, you know, you feel a touch of God in your lives, you become more tender to each other. That always happens. You know, when God touches you, you just, your whole spirit, a spirit of tenderness comes across you. And, uh, it's a good thing. It's, it's a, it's a very preserving thing in a marriage to, Make sure that your wife is getting touched by God. It's, it's just in your interest. It makes just good sense to do that. You need to, uh, as much as possible, put your wife around things where you position her to get the touch of God in her life. You know, I, yesterday I was studying in the morning and I came across a, uh, a missions quote from a lady who'd gone to China. And I didn't know who the lady was, and I thought, who is that lady? And so I, I did a little search on it and, and read her story, and I thought, I'll email that through to my wife. I sent that through to her, and she called me, and she said, oh, that was, she said, that was really good. She said, I read that, that really, it really touched my heart. And I thought, well, that's what I wanted it to do. I, I want to position her where God just keeps touching her. Brethren, if God touches your children, they become tender. And, and all spirit of fight and rebellion goes out. When the spirit of God comes in, the spirit of rebellion cannot stay. It has to go. There's, an, there's no room for both. And so it's a good prayer to have God touching your family. And when you see that happen, you know, God is building the family. So I was looking around and I was praying and I've seen some people in the hotel sort of come back and, and, uh, you know, look at each other with, a little bit of a sparkle in their eyes, uh, uh, and I thought, well, you know, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it's not that you you think he's handsome. He's clearly not. It's that uh, <laughs> God has has done something and has touched you, and you feel, you know, you feel sweet because of what God has done. So that's the way it should be. Always invest in your wife. You need your wife to stay right. And don't presume she just will. Don't presume you need to put her around things. You know, if I see a, a book, I shop more now for books for my wife than myself. If I see something, I think I'm going to get that in her hands. Anything I can do to keep her tender. Because when, when she's hearing from God, she's just it's just extra sweet for me. And it's a great thing to do. So I pray you're getting something. Pray that God has spoken to you. I, I would guess that some of the men, some of the leaders, uh, like pastors and others, you, you probably have made some measure of decisions about something or some things you will try to attend to when you go back. And uh, that's a good thing. And uh, that's, a, that's a, it's a wise thing to do. It's good to be responsive to God. The message tonight, I guess, is just to attempt in a very short while before Brother Gibbs comes to fortify that decision that you've made. I, I, I use that word a lot in my prayer life. I pray, God, fortify me against sin. Make me strong within against sin. Because I say, God, I know that my old man will want to sin. 
And I know, Lord, that, that this is a fight that will never be over. So, God, fortify me against sin. Deepen my resolve. And uh, so when you make a decision for God, like many of you have done, and you have now in your mind, I'm going to go back to where you've come from, and I'm going to uh, do this or take this step or whatever it is. I want that to be fortified in you. I don't want it that when this conference is over, that your decision turned out to be nothing more than emotional tokenism. We don't want that. What God does will be lasting. And so we want the decisions you have made to be lasting, that they go back and uh, and there's a difference. And I do thank God for what he's doing. I do sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here. I see him in your attitudes. I sense him in the preaching. And uh, we want his continued hand. 1 Kings chapter 17, a passage that you will no doubt know well from verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth, And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Jesus tells us in his commentary about this that Elijah was sent to her. Now, when we read the passage here, we see that God came to Elijah saying, uh, uh, go to her, I've commanded that she would sustain you. But Jesus tells us that, in fact, Elijah had been sent to her. Now, Elijah got sent to numbers of people. And it seems that when Elijah got sent to do things with people, Elijah just went, and, and it seems to me he never quite understood the full implications of all that was going to happen, nor did he particularly care to know. You remember when God told him to go and anoint uh, Elisha, that he goes and he, he puts on that mantle and, and, uh, and Elisha comes and says, you know, just a moment, I'll take care of things. And Elijah says, you know, what, what did I do to you? As if, look, son, this is, I just did what I was supposed to do. Whatever you're saying is between you and God. 
I'm just carrying out what God has asked me to do. And that's, that's a spiritual thing to do. To just do what you're supposed to do and let God take care of whatever's supposed to happen after you do what you're supposed to do. God doesn't have to explain the whole plan to you. God doesn't have to tell you how it's all going to unfold with everybody else. It should be sufficient that God just says to you, you, you do this and you just say, okay, Lord. And it, and whatever, whatever is going to come out of that, whatever. And so Elijah is sent to her and because he was sent to her, she was confronted with a, a very big moment of faith where she had to respond to a, a challenge of faith. And according to how she responded, really would be a decision of life and death. It was a big decision. If she had responded poorly in the face of this moment of faith, then what she said would have come true. She would have perished. If she had said to Elijah, oh, 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 you know, I can't do this. We only have this much food and I'm sorry, I would like to help, but, you know, I've got to put my children first. And, uh, and I can't do this. And she would have had her last meal. And she would have perished. She was facing a life and death decision. And it came to her at a moment where there was, there was no room to go anywhere else. Nobody else was going to be able to help her. She no doubt had already exhausted all earthly options. And you may have been at that place. You may have come to the place where you have exhausted all human options and you have looked in all places that man can look and you come to the place where you you realize I'm simply at the place where only God can do what needs to be done. There's nowhere else to go. I've read all the books. I've sought the information. I've listened to the CD sets. I've rung everybody on the phone. I'm just simply at a place I've exhausted all that. And what needs to be done, only God can do. And whenever God visits somebody with one of these faith moments, God God is visiting there because it is the intent of God to give you something. Whenever God confronts you with one of these moments of faith, where you're going to have to make a decision in response to the word of God, something God said to you, something you heard from God, Whenever that happens, it happens because God is positioning you. God has chosen to visit you personally and you individually. And remember that Jesus said there were many others in her situation at this time, but Elijah was not sent unto them. He was sent unto her. And when God comes to you, you need to understand the very personal nature of what is happening. That God has singled you out when you get confronted with one of these faith moments. God is going to meet you. He's going to challenge your faith. You are hearing personally from God because God wants to give you something. And it may not be. In fact, it's most likely that God wants to give you something. He wants you to get something that you will then give to somebody else. And that's what it said here. Because she did and responded by faith at her moment of faith, the Bible said that as she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, which was the saying of God, that she did, and her house, eat many days. 
What happened out of her decision of faith was that not only did she receive herself, but she got something that she was then going to be able to give others. And I have observed through the course of pastoral ministry that when God wants to give the church something, he starts with the pastor. That God will first work the leader. And God will confront the leader quite often with one of those faith moments. And the leader then has to make a decision. And if the leader decides for faith and by faith and and believes God, they receive from God, and then what they receive from God is able to be given to others. And so she was confronted here with one of those personal moments of faith, and we've had them, and you may be you may have one already. Something may have happened to you over the past couple of days at some time where you just feel you might say, Well, I felt every message I've heard from God, but I felt this. This thing, God was really just, it felt very personal. It felt like God was challenging me about this thing. It's one of those faith moments. You should see it as the visitation of God to you personally. You've been selected. You know, Elijah goes there in response to God telling him to go and he makes his way to that place. And, you know, I'm not even sure he knew where it was. God seemed to give him a pretty good description about it. And he makes his way to that place. And then you get, you know, there's a few of these behold, behold, but you get another one of those uh, behold in verse 10. Behold, just as he got there, well, she was right there. Wasn't that coincidental? Just the exact moment. How long did it take a man to to get there and walking on foot and to arrive at that place? Just at that exact coordinated moment as, as he happened to arrive there, she happened to be outside collecting sticks at that time. And it was entirely organized and positioned and set up by God. It was the, it was the man of God bringing the word of God to a widow that God had singled out and that, and God was positioning that widow for one of those faith moments. Now these faith moments are opportunities to receive what cannot come and what will not come any other way. In other words, when God is confronting you with one of those faith moments, there are not alternatives Different ways you can receive the same thing. You really are at a place where you will, you will have to decide by faith and you will have to respond according to the word of God by faith. And if you don't, this is not coming another way. There are some things that only come this way. And when they come, it's either you get them or you don't, but they're not coming another way. It's a faith moment. Now, your salvation is that, but most of us forget that. Your salvation only came to you by faith. You could not have received your salvation another way. You could not have said, you could not have said, well, I, I, you know, I need sight. I can't do this by faith. You could not have received it. Salvation is conditionally received by faith. That's the way God has made it. And when you in, in, in responded to God's working, you heard the gospel, the word of God, by faith you receive. 
And most of us understand that, but we forget that the biggest thing that happened in our life, the most consequential thing we ever did for now and for eternity was to, by faith, receive Christ. But we forget about that because we go on in our Christian life and we forget to think about the fact the biggest thing that ever happened to me came by faith. And what you find is that when God is going to meet you and do something else in your life, there are some things that can only be received by faith. And if you cannot respond by faith, you cannot receive. You cannot have. It's not coming to you. There's no other path, alternative way, a a different direction. It's not coming. You're not going to get it. But you receive it by faith. And it's scary when that happens, when God has singled you out and come to you and confronted you, has found you. And God finds you and speaks to you and confronts you with a moment of these faith decisions. And the scary thing is, when they come, whatever you do is going to have consequences. Either way, this was life or death. This was not just life or death for her. This was life or death for her child. She was deciding for her what she was going to do in response to the the word of God. But but what was she decided was going to affect her child. And her, her household. And when you get confronted with one of those personal moments of faith, here is God has visited you. And brethren, you ought not to think that you can just come to a conference where the word of God will be preached and, and just, you know, be indifferent and nothing's going to happen. You positioning, you know what you've just done? You've walked outside the gates of the city and you're going to be confronted by the word of God. You, you, you say, how did that happen? Well, you flew here. You bought the ticket. You came. What were you thinking? You're not a spectator, you're a participant. And you've come and and now, oh, God has spoken to you about something and God has found you. And you get confronted with that. And God is likely saying to you, this is this is the step that's got to be taken. This is what I'm saying. But you can't receive this unless you do this. And every time you get confronted with one of those faith moments, combined with it is going to be a fear moment. Every faith moment has a fear moment. Now, we've said before, faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is acting and doing despite the fear. But you have, you have a fear moment. You know, I was, I, I was laughing. I, I can't believe it. We're coming up to September will be 20 years of marriage for me, I said to my wife on the phone today, I said, now, I said, honey, it's 20 years, right? September. She said, yeah. And she she didn't ask me why I was nutting through all that, but I was thinking about the fact of when God first spoke to me about marrying my wife. And so many things in my life have just been done in an unusual way. I haven't tried to be unusual, but it's just, it's just happened that way. It was unusual leaving the pastorate in Good Shepherd and going to Thailand. It was unusual how I got there. It was unusual, the call of God. My ministry's been a little bit unusual. Just everything God has done has been a little bit strange. And I've never tried to lift it up and say to other people, here's the model. I haven't tried to do that. 
But I remember when God spoke to me about marrying my wife. Now, I'd grown up in a home where the model of marriage I had seen was not one you wanted to duplicate. And I had seen some other marriages around that I was starting to think, I'm not sure this marriage is such a good thing. And that's the sad thing many young people think too. When they look and say, hmm, well, I was thinking that and, 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 you know, but I was, had a walk with God and was praying and, and, uh, and God just, you know, unusually God said to me, this is the girl you're going to marry. And I was like, well, you know, Lord, I'm not sure I'm ready for marriage. I'm not sure I, I even want to marry. I'm still thinking that through. And it was, it was kind of made clear to me this, this is not an optional situation. You're, you're confusing a command with an option. I said to you, this is the person. Well, having heard the voice of God, I did what a lot of people try to do. I tried to ignore it. And I would go and pray, and I'd pray about lost souls in darkest Africa, and I'd pray about the neighbors, and I'd pray about my family, and I'd pray about my job, and I'd pray about everything but that other thing that God had spoken to me about. In fact, I'd try not to even mention that. And the moment I stopped talking and had a moment of quietness, the voice of the Holy Spirit would rise up again. Say, that's the girl you have to marry. Now, she was a beautiful girl. It was my hesitation in and, and my fear about, is this going to work? I've seen so many bad things. What happens if, you know, I say I do and then we don't and it happens and, you know, I, I was worried about that. So, but I could not escape God telling me, you know, this is the one, this is the one. It was just that clear. And it wasn't, you know, this is the one, but she, she didn't want me. She, God had been working in her too. Well, then I thought, you know, I, this is getting a bit scary. So, you know, what I'll try and do, I'll kind of, if God is speaking to me, I'll try to confront this in, in my own sort of spiritual way. So I said, Lord, uh, I, I said, Lord, I think you're telling me she's the one. Now, God had been telling me very, very clear. I said, I think you're telling me she's the one. But, Lord, I, I would want to be sure and make sure I followed you right. And uh, I said, God, I'm going to put out a fleece. And I'm thinking... I'm going to make this, this fleece is not coming home. This is going to be good. This is, this is not going to work. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make this one of these super gigantic faith fleeces and it's not going to happen. So I'm, but, but I'm, I'm saying, oh God, you know, I, I just would want to be sure and, 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 uh, I, I just certainly wouldn't want to do something you wouldn't want me to do. And, and so God, I, I just pray that you'd, you'd, you'd lead me, Lord. And now, Lord, I, I'm going to put this fleece to you, and if she's the one, and all the time I'm hearing, she's the one. And I'm saying, now, God, if she's the one, I'm hearing, she's the one. I'm saying, just, just God, if she's the one, you just have to tell me. And I was like, I've told you she's the one. And so I, I said, now, God, uh, I said, uh, you're going to have to have her give me something as a, as a sign that she's the one. And I'm thinking, what, what can I pick? What would be something that we, this is, she, she's never going to give me? What can I do? And I'm thinking, and I say, God, I say, have her give me a golf ball. She doesn't play sport. She's not interested in golf. I'm not into golf. It's, this is, this is, this is, this is not going to happen. I say, have her give me a golf ball. And then I think, what if she's got a, what if, say, God, have her give me a fluorescent orange golf ball. 
I said, that's it. And I, I said, God, you know, I just want to be sure. And God, you can do anything. You hold the world in your hands. And if you want to just make a fluorescent orange golf ball, God, you can do it. And so I pray, God, just, just, and I pray that prayer and I put that fleece. I say, God, just, just a fluorescent orange golf ball. And I'm thinking, you know, this is, we're okay. And I feel God say, okay. And my fear increases. I'm like, oh no. And very quickly, I, I backpedal. I say, Lord, fleeces are not very spiritual. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't feel right about doing that. I, I just, I just, Lord, just that whole orange fluorescent golf ball thing, God, I just think we ought to forget that and, and just, uh, you know, thank, thank you, Jesus. Please save the millions in Africa. Amen. And so I pray and, and, uh, it was but the next day, uh, I called Suzanne and I said, oh, you know, I'm going to call around, see you and come around to your house. And, and she said, yeah, it's fine, come around. And so I, I went around, it was uh, evening and, and we, we'd had, I believe we'd had dinner and I was sitting in the lounge room, we were just talking. And I went to go into the kitchen to get a glass of water or something and I'm just, just talking and I walked into the kitchen and I reached up to get a glass and on the shelf sitting there, is a fluorescent orange golf ball. And I was... I felt the golf ball winked at me. And I was just... I just stopped. And I said... Uh, I said... Uh, Said, uh, I said, uh, Suz- uh, Suzanne? She's like, yes. Said, uh, it's a golf ball in your kitchen. <laughs> and she said, oh, oh yeah. She said, you know, I found that. I meant to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. Well, you know, I gave in, and in the end, I just, just we, we had, we've had 20 good years. But, but I had fear. You, you say you shouldn't be afraid of a thing like that. Well, that believe, I had fear about other things since then, but that was then. That was the thing then. And 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 it was God was just saying to me, you have to believe, you have to, you have to trust me that if I'm telling you to marry her and I'm in it, it's going to work. And you have to trust me, it's just not going to just work, it's going to be good. And you have to understand, Wayne, I'm trying to give you something good. This is, I'm trying to meet you and give you something good. You just have to believe me. You have to trust me. I want to help you. And any time that, that you find that God comes to you about something that requires one of these Faith moments, there is a, an element of fear involved in it, and you have to be careful with that. Because the danger when fear comes is you can, fear can generate a state of paralysis. Fear can just stop you. And if fear doesn't generate paralysis, it can, it can cause you to just procrastinate and hold off doing what God's already told you to do. Or it can make you panic. 
when fear comes. David did that. He panicked. He did some, some things because fear took hold. But any time that there is a faith moment, there's going to be a fear moment. But as I read my Bible, I find that fear was present many times when God did great things. And I thank God for that. I, I read there in uh, 1 Corinthians in the, the second chapter in the third, vo- uh, third verse where the Apostle Paul said, talking about when he had come and that church had been birthed and the work of God had taken place in the life of those Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Uh, I read that again the other day and I just started to cry. I was on the plane, I was traveling and I read that, I started to weep. And I thought, that church, that work of God... All of that, he says, but when I came, I came in fear and, and weakness, and trembling. And I underlined that. I wrote in my Bible, if you see my Bible, I wrote, that's how I feel in Thailand. Fear, weakness, and trembling. But any time God does something like that, one of these faith moments meets you, there's a fear side to it, but you have to overcome that. You have, you have to, faith has to rule over fear. As much as, as much as a man is in authority over his home, faith must be in authority over fear. Fear must not lead. Fear is present and fear visits, but faith must rule fear. And if you're experiencing some of those fear moments, then it's, 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 it's perfectly okay. And then I want to say when that happens and you get confronted and one of those faith moments visits, that you will not carry it out if you look at the things that are seen instead of things that are unseen. You see, what happens when you come to a conference or when God speaks to you, or, and it can happen in your prayer life, it can happen when you immerse yourself in the Word of God, it can happen to you sometimes when someone just speaks the Word of God to you, but what happens is when God speaks to you, it, it, at that moment when you hear from God, it's like nothing else is there. And, and, and your, 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 your body, your mind, your soul is immersed in you hear from God. And it's very, very powerful when you hear from God. But when the moment is over, the danger is that you go from, from taking hold of the unseen to looking at the seen. Because you're going to have to go back and you're going to walk into familiar circumstances. Pastors will go back to the same office that they've been in before. They'll step back to the same pulpit, the same people, the same problems. But that's the scene. That is not to negate the moment of faith that God has spoken to you. The challenge for you is to look to the unseen. But if you look to the scene, you'll stop, you'll miss it. You know, when that woman had to go and she had to give the last little bit she had, when she had to give that by the word of God to the man of God, it didn't make sense to what was seen. And, and picture, picture her, picture her 
she's gone, she's responded to the man of faith. And he says, you make for me and then you bring to me. And then he said, after you make it and after you bring it to me, then, then you go and do for you and your son. And you picture she's gone back to her little dwelling and she's mixing up a little bit of oil with a little bit of that flour to make a little bit of a cake. The last she has, and as she's mixing it and making that up, she looks over and she sees her child. And she sees the food. And she sees her child. And maybe the boy says, Mom, are we going to eat? And she says... I, I hope so, son. We're going to eat. But everything around her was saying, don't do this. Everything around was saying, this is crazy. And, and how many voices were rising up? But this is your child. What are you doing? What are you doing? And she has to remember, thus saith the Lord God, the barrel of meal the cruise of oil, it will not waste. Thus saith the Lord God. God said, God said. And she has to have an eye and an a ear and a soul for what God said. And she's got to not look at the scene. Because if she makes the transition from the unseen to the seen, she will not progress. That moment of faith will fail. And there's a real danger in that happening. You know, the, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the 18th verse, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The Apostle Paul said, we look not at the things which are seen. You say the things which are seen are... are, are are not there. No, he didn't say they're not there. They're there, but he said, we look not. We will not look at the temporal. We will not look at the scene which is screaming at us against everything that we're trying to do by faith. We will not look at the scene. We will look at the not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And when God is speaking to you at a faith moment, he's positioning you where you have to respond. And God is trying to give you something. And the whole process of what God is doing has to do with the eternal and with the unseen. And it will play itself out in the real world. But this is a moment where you have to focus on what God is saying to you and what God is leading you to do. And when you go back and you're confronted by the reality of the scene, you have to be stronger than that. Boy, I've been encouraged this week to, to do more for Thailand. I, I, I've, I've prayed, I've wept in my room for some Thai people and, and I've thought of, I've, I've got a plan. I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I got some ideas, some things. I, I've got to do more, God, I've got to do more. But I'm gonna fly back into that airport and I'm gonna walk out there in the teeming mass of humanity, uh, humanity and the high rise and the pollution and, and all of that stuff, the hustle and bustle and the shops and all of that markets, all that's going to be there. And the scene is going to scream to me, what are you doing? What are you doing? Merrick is over, buddy. Great trip. You're back to reality now. 
Just get, get on with it. That's what's going to happen to you. The temporal is going to challenge you about the eternal. And you're going to have to make a choice at what you look at. And according to what you choose is going to be the result of what's going to happen. She had to keep her eyes on God. And then I want to conclude tonight by just saying that, you know, when Elijah came, Elijah was speaking for God. And brethren, the good thing here, one of the things I delight in the word of God is when I see things like this happening, I get to stand back and say, you know, what is God like? Because Elijah is going to speak, but Elijah's not going to speak from him. What Elijah says and how this whole business was conducted was God. Elijah wasn't just preferencing himself. Elijah wasn't, you know, you have to put me first. Everything Elijah was saying was from God. He was speaking what God had told him to say. And so when you study that and you look at it, you understand, oh, okay, now I see what does, how does God work when he wants to give somebody something. Remember, she was going to be sustained beyond her ability and her household and her child. She was going to get a whole lot from God. When God wants to give something, how does, how does that happen? Well, you, you see that she's challenged by faith, but here's what he said. God says, give me first. And God always says, give me first. God says, first, you have to give me what you have, and then I'll give you what I said I was going to give you. You say, okay, can we go the other way around with that? Can you, can you give me, and then after you give me, I'll give you? God, can you open the windows of heaven to me, and then I'll start tithing? God says, wrong order. Wrong way. First, you have to give me. And then I'll give you. And Elijah said, you, you, you have to give me first. He, God says, God says, give me first. God says this, give me what you think you can't live without. Give me the thing that you're thinking now, but if I gave you that, I, I couldn't live. And brethren, it may not be a thing. It may be something in you. It may be something that you have said, this is me. And God says, that's not you. You're better than that. Give me what you think you can't live without. Give me first. Give me what you think you can't live without. And then finally, God says, give me all. And that was her moment. She couldn't say, well, we just have a look. How about 50% to him? and I'll keep the rest, and I'll hedge my bets. If it doesn't work, okay, we've lost half, but we've got a little. God said, no, 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 we, there's no 50%, 50% here. This is, if you want it, you give me all. You give me first, and you give me what you think you can't live without. You remember when that young, rich ruler came to Jesus and sought him about eternal life and And Jesus responded a number of ways, but he concluded by saying, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and come and take up your cross and follow me and you have riches in heaven. And that young man walked away because he had a lot. 
And what Jesus did not do was go, oh, okay, 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 stop, stop. Go and sell 75%. You keep 25%. Okay, come and follow me. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, go and give God 50%. You keep 50%. You come and follow me. No, no, no. Jesus let him walk away. God is not negotiating. Give me first. Give me what you think you can't live without. Give me all. And it was only when she responded to those conditions did she receive bountifully from God. And that's the place that some of you are at with the faith challenge that God has presented you with. And how you respond to that is going to determine how everything unfolds for the next while.